every measurement ever taken off you, you should walk into the team and say, give it back to me. You give me my medical records, I want all of it back to me. And I'll put it in a contract with my GPS data from practice, all of that information, my tracking data from games, all of that belongs to me. Give it back to me. You can have it. You can use it. You can use it for your analysis and blah, 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 but I want mine back. So 100%, that's the first thing you do is, is have control of your own data. Because if you control your data, you control your narrative. And that is something that rarely happens. And normally you'd use an, an agent does this, but agents are lazy now. And uh, they always have been. And the, re the way that they control the narrative is because they have some power over these general managers and they're losing some of that power. But what you can do is empower those agents, empower those players with data and information. Hey, everybody, Dave Anderson, former NFL wide receiver and CEO of Breakaway Data. This is the game plan. Welcome back to The Game Plan, hosted by Jay Kapoor and Tim Cott. I'm Jay Kapoor on a bit of a solo run today because my co-host Tim Cott was not able to join us for this one. But don't worry, Tim will be back with us next week as planned. Today, we have a fantastic conversation all about data analytics and what it means, not just for the wider implication of the sports world, but also the sports business at large, with founder and CEO of Breakaway Data, Dave Anderson. So Dave played six years in the NFL, many of those with the Houston Texans. And he shares the ways in which he thinks that teams and players could be better understanding and collecting performance data that will not just improve on-field performance, but also extend the peak performance and time span of each player in their playing career. You know, a couple of things that we talked about with Dave that, that have really stuck out to me and, and I want to highlight as you listen to this episode. So one is this idea of taking ownership, which if you're a regular listener of the game plan, it feels like it comes up week after week, doesn't it? So with Dave, we talked about the idea of athletes being able to take ownership of their data and it being one of the things that teams have access to, but not enough athletes actually spend the time to think about, you know, what data is being collected about them, how that data might potentially be used for or against them when they are going up for a contract negotiation. And moreover, using that data to plan out things like you know your workouts, like the the kind of nutrition that you're going after, like actually building a structure around you to contextualize that data. And that being one of the things that, that Breakaway Data is trying to do in terms of taking data and turning it into ball speak, as, as Dave says. And I think there's a lesson in there for, for entrepreneurs as well. When you think about the idea of creating a narrative with data to support it, right? If you are competing in a market and, and you are trying to pitch against people that are much larger than you and, and have much more money than you, you may not necessarily get the attention of customers or investors if that's what you're going after. But if you're able to define a category, and you know Dave joked about the fact that he could have used data to create the, the Julian Edelman, Dave Anderson metric for guys that looked like him and played the position like him, then he would have been top of the charts in that category. And so sometimes instead of trying to, you know, play in the big pond with everybody else, you're actually able to narrow down and say, in these situations for this use case, I am the best in breed. I am the best in class. And whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're an NFL player, having that data be able to, to back up the narrative you're creating is actually pretty powerful. And, and lastly, as we always do, we finish talking about the challenges of going from athlete to entrepreneur. And I think some of the interesting lessons that, that Dave had about you know, having a very fixed, you know, view of what the world is going to look like 
but then having an, a tremendous amount of flexibility in, in how he got there and just the level of comfort that it takes with, with being uncomfortable all the time as an entrepreneur. So like, I just really love this conversation with Dave. We're looking forward to staying in touch with him, but I can't wait for you all to hear this conversation with founder and CEO of Breakaway Data and former NFL wide receiver, Dave Anderson. All right, Dave Anderson, thank you so much for joining us on the game plan today. Absolutely, let's do it. Yeah, well, I, I want to start uh, talking about breakaway data, but before we get into that, you know, you had an impressive college career in Colorado. You went on to play six seasons in the NFL. At what point along that NFL journey did this passion for data analytics start, and and was it always the plan to go into it after? I guess it kind of started when I was young. I was always good at math. I was never scared of data numbers and that whole thing. I've always been actually more scared of of writing and uh, in that aspect. I, I don't. I got the gift of gab from my mom, so I don't mind talking. But when I'm putting words to paper, it's always been a little scary. I don't tell a story in a traditional way. I guess you could say. I was like, you know, fifth grade, I was in the gate, which is the gifted and talented education stuff out here in California. I would go to like weird community colleges for math classes and do all that stuff. I, I guess you could say my math and data background kind of, you know, started when I was young and uh, obviously hit the brakes kind of when I was in college. I majored in speech and communication, did a lot of kind of classes on, you know, presenting and communicating ideas, visualizing ideas which that actually kind of proved uh, useful as the, you know, the data and the data visualization world and how to communicate those ideas is what, what I'm kind of best at and what, what has been the kind of the through line in my career. But I guess you could say my EQ went through the roof when I was playing. Uh, you, you get to meet all walks of life, people from the north, south, east, west, middle of the country, black, white, brown, this color, that color, this background, these, this, this type of family, this not type of family situation. It's all in the locker room when you're in the NFL and you're quickly exposed to it. And, and the one thing I'd say about the NFL is you're, well, you're exposed uh, mm. physically and, and literally in, in every way, you know, exactly how much money that guy makes, you know, exactly what He's expected to do in his career, you know, everything about his family, you know, everything about his, per you know, damn near everything about his personal life, what's going on. And that doesn't happen in the real world, but that really exposes you to a high level of EQ because you've got to get to know these people. You have to connect beyond just what's on the field if you really want to have a good team. And, uh, and I think that's what I got exposed to, went to business school, got my MBA in data science uh, or got my MBA and then started focusing on data science. And that's when really the sports data part of my career kind of took off was, I was like, oh, I'm good at this. I understand data. I'm uh, still pretty good at math. Now I can just rely on a machine to do all the math theory for me. I just have to find good data. And uh, I, I always envisioned myself staying in sports. And it was a cool way to be connected to the sports world. Yeah, well, well let's talk about that. So, so now this is going back to, you know, not, not a full decade ago, but, but several years back, very close yeah. to. And I think a lot of folks are talking about data analytics and science today. I think, you know, we'll, we'll see it in the broadcast where people will bring up next-gen stats. But sort of at that time, was it something that players and coaches were discussing at field level? Was it accepted or was it kind of the eggheads in the in the front office that were, you know, talking about data analytics? So, so I remember them putting stuff on our pads, like experimental type stuff my last year in the NFL. And then my first year in graduate school, I was volunteering at Second Spectrum or interning, I guess is what they call it when you're in business school. But they, uh, but the NFL knocked on Second Spectrum's door and I was like, hey, we've just been tracking players for the last year and a half. And I was like, oh, maybe one of my games is in there. 
but they're like, we've been tracking players for the last year and a half. Can you tell us what good data and bad data is? And then they left all the data with us. And I turned to our lead engineer, who was like an amazingly smart guy from MIT. I was like, okay, so how do you do this? And he's like, no, 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 you're the football player. You're going to tell us what good data and bad data is. And I was like, I, what? And so like, it was, I was one of the first people to ever have a look at tracking data in all of sports, but uh, in the NFL. And um, it was really interesting. You know, that that's one of the first things we did at Second Spectrum is we provided the NFL back a study of what, what good tracking data was, kind of let them obviously make the decision who they went with. They ended up going with Zebra. And then for the first couple of years, uh, we were kind of the third party group that assessed uh, the data quality. And we got to kind of get exposed to what was going on when data was dropping and what that all meant. But it was really interesting to me because I saw how they talked about it. I saw how the athletes talked about it or didn't talk about it. I saw how coaches were quasi referencing it. And I saw how um, the, the league from a commercial perspective was kind of discussing how to monetize it. And it was really interesting because you have hindsight. I have a perspective on, perspective on what I would do differently now, but like, you know, back then I thought they had these, grandiose plans and ideas and what it was going to happen, but they were just kind of like throwing it together and putting it yeah. together. Hey, this is what tracking data is going to look like. And I respect that, but uh, it was certainly fun to be part about that part of that kind of early stage tracking next gen stat data world. I think you, you hear data scientists talk about this idea of like garbage in garbage out. Right. And it's like knowing what to measure is, is almost as important as, as capturing that data. So I'd sure. love to understand like an example of, like, what, what are we measuring on offense, defense? Is it just, you know, uh, the, the 40 time or, or like, let's, let's go a little bit deeper into what's actually getting measured on the field level. Well, let's just start with, I, and, and if anyone's heard me speak about this, I, I try to keep it pretty simple to, to give an analogy is like tracking data. We're just scratching the surface on how useful it can be, because if you think about every sport, it's about creating or taking away space, Right. And tracking data uh, is called spatial temporal data, space and mm. time. You're measuring some the, the amount of space essentially these uh, uh, people can create. So it's it's a, it mirrors what you're trying to do in sport. Now the hard part is you have to create the definitions of what that space is, right? So for instance, a James Harden step back, right? Like we all know it when we see it, but data, you can actually see it too and measure it. So you can measure a James Harden step back versus Steph Curry step back versus Damian Lillard step back, right? So you can measure those things and how good they are, how much space they create, vice versa. You can measure on who is best at defending step backs. And, and then you can start looking and analyzing data that way. If you think about it from a football's perspective, you can measure it for receivers, you know, how much space they create in a certain type of route, vice versa, how much space Jalen Ramsey takes away versus Adoree Jackson, how, yeah. how well he does, right? Like you can measure those things and teams don't really do that yet because they haven't created the definitions from the tracking data, which is really hard to do because one, you need a lot of data to do it. And B, it's a, it's a, it's a fairly complicated process in that, like, you don't just throw a bunch of data into a machine and say like, Hey, measure this thing. That's not how it works. You have to define literally the state of play. And then you have to define that little instance within the state of play. And then you got to find as many instances as those that happen in, in all of the, throughout the season, and then try to kind of like mix and match and quantify things. And it's, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough thing, especially when, Everyone wants to compare it to baseball where context is kind of irrelevant. There's a pitcher and a batter and that's all the context you really need. Whereas football, 
context is kind of king and that like you could be wide open as a receiver, but if the offensive line doesn't block or the quarterback doesn't throw you the ball or the defensive, the lineman gets his hands up and tips it, it's, it makes your route running ability irrelevant. So uh, that's a lot different than baseball where it's like you get three strikes and four balls and the, the, the first base is never moving. Uh, is, is, it's, it's, a lot, it's a lot easier to measure in baseball. That's that's an interesting thing because I actually I would have thought football to be a lot closer to baseball because it's it's a little bit more discreet, right? There are discreet plays. We know when it starts and stops. The action resets. Whereas I, I would have guessed that something like uh, soccer or something like basketball, because it's relatively continuous action. Like yeah, you're you're resetting every so often, but but from your sense, it's like football may actually be the hardest. Or I mean, how, how do you rank sort of what's the hardest to capture? So what you're talking about is a situational game. Yeah. Uh, so uh, analyzing a game based on down and distance, that's analyzing a game based on situations. Baseball is analyzing a game uh, based on individual performance. Mm. So situations don't really exist in baseball until you talk about playoff baseball and who should we pitch here, right? That's when coaches get paid. Is this like what, like the 15 situational situations that you can end up in a baseball game uh, when it comes to subbing and pitching and stuff like that? Situations in football are basically five times a drive right where you're gonna have to make a decision okay we're backed up inside our own five yard line we have you know these 22 plays okay we got stuffed on first down now we only have these 12 plays that we run that we're comfortable with okay we can't be dan orlowski and run out of the back of the end zone we're gonna cut out the waggle play big shout out to dan like there there are there are plays that you want and you have to you have to have situational awareness right like people always used to give belichick crap for way back in the day when he went for it fourth against and two. Fourth yeah. and two. But like, that's him taking data and information and also applying like context, meaning he, he thought this is when we should go for it in the game to win, because if I punt it to him, we're going to lose anyway. So I might as well try to win it right here. Like there's situational analysis, what the data tells you. And then there's also context and like, Hey, this is, this is a game played by humans. There's a lot of emotion into these decisions. Like I need to take that into, um, into account when I make these decisions, which is why when people always say like, oh, coaches are going to be replaced by computers, I call I call BS. It's just, it's impossible because the number one thing in sports is you got to get the players to like each other and play hard for each other. And you got to get the players to believe in the system that the coach is communicating. If you don't have that, data is not going to help you. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter how much and how many analytics and data scientists you throw at the problem. If, if, if I don't like the guy because, you know, we went out one night and he whatever didn't pay his bill. Uh, and I'm, that's why I'm not passing the ball or why I don't shift over his way during when I were the third at bat or whatever it is like that. You're, you'll have issues that, you know, data can't overcome. No. And, and I think that's uh, it's going to be a good segue into talking about what you're doing with breakaway data. It's sort of this idea of like data in context. Right. And, and I think that's the thing that, that a lot of a lot of startups struggle with, by the way, they, they sort yeah. of say, OK, we're going to get a data scientist. And we're going to throw them at this this huge pile of data, you know, whatever restaurant data or or uh, Uber. They're they're checking driver data, and then at the end of the day, it's like, well, well, then then that data has to be contextualized. And and I and I see it as like a, a prime example of something like Apple Watch or Aura Ring, where they're telling you like sleep stats or health stats, but like compared to what, right? Like I don't like you actually. Somebody has to like put it into plain English almost, where I'm like. Sure. This score, if I'm getting an 85, that's I'm in this range. I need to yeah. do better. Who like this is 85. Like yeah, I don't know. I yeah. don't know what that means, right? Like yeah, like an athlete is probably at 100. I'm at 85, but there's 15 points of difference between me and a professional athlete. It it doesn't mean anything to me without that context. So like, yeah. 
talk, talk to me about some of the work that you're doing with breakaway data now and, and how you're creating that context for somebody. Yeah, I think, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head is that like the hardest part about our business is it is service and a software and that the service part is understanding how that organization currently works with, creates, collects, and communicates data and information and technology, right? Because I would love to say, hey, here's our software, boom, you plug it in and everyone's gonna be happy and, and you're gonna win more games and, and uh, everyone's gonna get promoted and pay more money. Well, that's not how it works. We learned about the breakaway data, it, it's genesis what came from our work with the Dodgers and understanding how they successfully in integrated performance science, right? They had gone through years of issues that a lot of teams are going through now in terms of, we have really smart research and developers, uh, we have data scientists, we have analytics specialists, we have on-field, we have biomechanics, we have just a handful, of, you know, tons and tons of people that are trying to solve these extremely complicated kind of data problems. And then we have our coaching staff and our front office and our scouts who still, think of baseball this way and ultimately are the ones communicating it to the players. Mm -hmm. And how do we bridge that? Right. And, and that's kind of where we came in is we realized they did a little ball speak that was very helpful. And they had Brandon McDaniel at the center of this in a lot of ways that helped kind of be that translation layer. And we're like, okay, so that's really the key to this. Every team's got smart people. Don't get me wrong. Like the, some teams should hire more, but every team's got smart people. <laughs> Every team has good players and they're trying to win. And let's assume every coach wants to win more games and stuff, right? So you always assume those things about, like there are some teams that are trying to tank and some teams where the front sure. office and the coach have a disagreement in philosophy. And sometimes the scouts were old school and were brought in before this general manager and they don't disagree. Like, like I said about like tracking data, we can't help you with those problems. Like those are internal real issues that you need to, that, that the organization needs to solve and wants to be successful. But given and assuming that those things don't exist, that there isn't kind of these, uh, this animosity between these groups, what breakaway data really does is speak, turns data into ball speak so that the information collected and created by, let's just say this right side, this more analytical group can be communicated to the players. And so we, we try to be that bridge. And at first it starts with services and people asking thoughtful questions, seeing what they do, what process they currently have and saying like, okay, we have a software. Here's how we should integrate it. Here's how it will look for you. It'll look a little different, but your problem was similar to Chelsea's. Was your problem was similar to WWE's, ironically. Your problem hmm. was similar to the Dodgers. Your problem was similar to the, you know, the, the youth baseball program that we worked with. Like, obviously, they all aren't paying the same because their problems are different. But, like, I think what, what people really realize is when you collect thoughtful information – and you put it into ball speak, then coaches can really get behind it. And vice versa, you should be working this way too, is you take what the coaches think, what they value, their eye test, because their eye test, in a lot of times is just years of experience that they don't know how to articulate or they don't know how to codify. So we help them codify it. We help them turn it into a measurement or an objective kind of process. And then we give that back to this side and they say, oh, I can use that. Yeah. Oh, now I know what you mean when you're saying he is an explosive baseball player. Okay. You're saying that he has these five qualities and that these are the four things that show up, uh, you know, off his bat. And these are the four things that show up uh, in the field. We can use that. So you're just really helping these two groups get more out of each other. And that's ultimately what these softwares should do. Like SAP has been doing this for years for fortune 500 companies. You know, they just build tons of software to help these two groups communicate. Our analytics department has all these numbers and, our, and their front office is making all these decisions. 
you know, we, th- we, we like to think that we're kind of helping out in a similar way. Right. But it, yeah. it, it starts with questions. No. And, and, and I think that's from a, from a pitch standpoint, I think it makes perfect sense. Right. Where, where we are in this money ball revolution, right? Like the Brad Pitt movie comes out and now suddenly everybody's talking about money ball. Every Pitt had to play us in a movie. Billy yeah, Bean's right. a lucky bet. Would we, would as many people know who Billy Bean was, if it wasn't Brad Pitt, if it oh, was heck like, no. Right. If Jonah Hill played Billy Bean, I wonder how many people would know who Billy Bean was. And it's funny because whoever Jonah Hill played, I think, is like a composite of a couple of different players. Right. <laughs> and, and it's like, you know, he doesn't he doesn't even get that that one uh, one shout out. But no, you're you're spot on. I will say, though, that like people now talk about money. I mean, people talk about Moneyball in every industry. They're talking about it in venture capital now where they're saying, oh, can you invest in this certain way where your hits, you know, you're not. Again, venture capital, you want to hit home runs. Oh, what if you can, in the aggregate, build a venture capital portfolio for Moneyball? Sure. So now when everybody's talking about Moneyball, you would it would seem like your job would actually be pretty easy as you're going out and pitching these teams. What What is the biggest pushback or you know reason that folks don't want to immediately say, yeah, let's let's sign up with Breakaway Data. Let's make this happen. I think, I think it's because we aren't a simple, we aren't uh, a, a just a software or a device that you just install and get immediate feedback from. It takes a little while. It, 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 is, a, it is a commit, we're asking for a commitment of time. Hmm. And we take time in the front, but what we promise is we'll give you tons of time back in the end. Because your strength and conditioning coaches should not pretend to be data scientists and be logging information for hours and hours every week. Let's automate that process. Let's build something that quickly plugs into the system that you're using. Your, your, your guys don't need to be doing force plate jumps three times a week to get back information that you don't know how to use. How about we use one time and we connect it to this on-field data set that gives you something a little more useful. You should not probably run your players through a quote unquote pro day or combine assessment every year. Cause it's been proven that the five ten five L drill and all of those things are worthless when it comes to really assessing football talent. Let's instead use GPS data and measure your players athletic ability differently. And so you have to kind of find the right coaches, find the right strength and conditioning coaches that, that want to take that next step. It is not a small kind of commitment of time, money, and energy. And so but what we do promise is you get that back in in, in spades, and as and when you uh, we get that back in spades. So that is that that is the hardest part. How do you think players players react to that? Because I think that there's a level of like, you know, you give me a intrusion? player to talk to. If yeah. I get to talk to a player, I, it's an easy sell. Really, the problem is that I have to play the game of telephone the majority of the time. If you tell me so so so. If I get to tell my old self, I'm shooting to the end. No, okay. let's do it. If I get to tell my old self what to do, Dave, you should 100% control your own, all of your own data. Okay. 100%. Every measurement ever taken off you, you should walk into the team and say, give it back to me. You give me my medical records, I want all of it back to me. And I'll put it in a contract. And my GPS data from practice, all of that information, my tracking data from games, all of that belongs to me. Give it back to me. You can have it, you can use it, you can use it for your analysis and blah, 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 but I want mine back. So 100%, that's the first thing you do is is have control of your own data. Because if you control your data, you control your narrative. And that is something that rarely happens. And normally you'd use an an agent does this, but agents are lazy now. (laughs) And uh, they always have been. And the the way that they control the narrative is because they have some power over these general managers and they're losing some of that power but what you can do is empower those agents, empower those players with data and information. And we recently did this 
uh, with Jabril Cox at LSU. Adam mm-hmm. Schefter tweeted out a little thing that we put together. They took their we took his LSU game data, and we turned it into a store like a basically a data card that promoted how he played, how he used his speed, how he used his agility, his change of direction to make plays, and all that stuff. And we put it together. Like that is going to be the, we want that to be the new standard when you go to college, not like, Hey, what'd you run your 40 in and your five ten five? who cares what you, what you perform like in your underwear? What did you perform like on the field? That's what we should be assessing. So I would say control, control your own data allows you to control your own narrative. I would say get great as much uh, uh, and as, as, as clear baseline measurements of your ability right off the get-go, right? The, the destruction of my career was not because of a single injury. It was a slow deterioration, which mm. ultimately led to tendonitis in my knees, which led to me not being able to play. The If I understood that I was going down 2% every year and then at, at year six, I had dropped to like an A minus B plus, well, shit, then I could have I fixed that a, l- a lot earlier, but I didn't have time to fix it. Like I had to go to the doctor like, oh yeah, you can have surgery on tendonitis, but it'll take you nine months to recover. Well, yeah. season, yeah. that's gone. So like, that's that's what led to the destruction of my career and i don't like seeing that in other guys especially in pro football where you know it's not like you get a lot of chances on any professional sport but no guaranteed money in in pro football so like you you have to go out there and think on a year in year year out basis and like you gotta you gotta control that narrative and control your own information because i think when you're a young player all these people around you have had a uh an interest in your career and they've been extremely helpful and Mm -hmm. you know your parents have helped you get through whatever pop warner in high school your college coach helps you recruit you and schmoozes with your parents and and shepherds you along because if you're going to be the nfl player you're probably the best player on your college and then you get to the nfl and you realize no one no one really cares about me like and no one should no one should care about more your career more than you do and when you see guys really grasp that, like the Tom Brady's, LeBron James, the Anthony Davis's, and all these guys who take control of their career, they surround themselves by people that are all about making their career better. They can take off, and you can stay in the you can stay in the game a lot longer. When you surround yourself about, about around a bunch of enablers who have been you and are picking and taking pieces off you, it's just a matter of time before you fall. And so, I don't know. That's I look as data as one of those things that can just prop you up. Yeah, no, I think, and it's a it's a mindset shift that's happening with a lot of athletes because, and, and this is where I was going with the question, which is, I think for a while athletes were thinking of it as like, oh, it's going to be used against me, and yeah. I think I think it has been in, in the yeah. past. The narrative and has traditionally been, but, it has been traditionally yeah. has been. right. No and one's trying to pay you more money, yeah, right? Exactly, right. And yeah. so they can find a metric and they can be like, well, you're off the charts on all these things, but then because of this one metric, we're going to yeah. go with somebody cheaper or whatever it is. Sure. And I think to your point, that the really valuable feedback is. Well, that data is yours. And, and yeah. again, I don't know how the CBA has sort of, you know, the, the most recent one is negotiated for the NFL. But I think across the leagues, we're going to start to see that data become something that the players want to monetize. Well, just, th- just think about, yeah, players monetize. But think about like what I was getting back to talking about the measurement of space. You can essentially create the Dave Anderson metric. You can create the Danny Amendola, the Julian Edelman metric. And those will probably be all similar because we're like 5'11 white dudes. <laughs> But like you could create measurements of who you are as a player. And that's essentially what your narrative is and what you're selling. Okay, here's what Dave Anderson did better than any other player in the NFL, you know, for these this four-year stretch. And that's what you're arguing over from an agent and a general manager perspective, right? Less of like, oh, he only had 35, 35 catches last year. Okay, mm. well, he was actually targeted 38 times. And so he had the highest catch percentage. And on those on on 
catches on first down. Here's his, uh, here's his separation on catches on third down. Here's the separation. You compare that to the best receivers that had more catches. Here's where you, here's where you, uh, you compare and contrast and where they get paid and where you should get paid. So like you can shape it to fit your narrative, which is powerful. And it just gives you more ammo to and more information about your player when you're an agent and or the player doing it himself to negotiate a better a better deal. Because right now there's an asymmetry of information. All the teams have more information, more analysis, more data scientists than all the players combined and all the leagues combined. Yeah. And that's what they should be worried about, in my opinion, as a player is like, how, how can how can these players associations, these leagues get together? And start empowering their own players with data information and monetizing it 100 because because yeah. those opportunities are, are out there so so one last question on the data piece then i want to talk about the business so as you think about you know the the product itself what what it looks like because you mentioned there's sort of a software component there's a services component mm. what is the product and i guess what what would have, what have been some of the lessons that you've learned as you've been building out the product and in somewhat of a crowded landscape of everybody's offering data analytics so, so how did you make sure that your product stood out? Ball speak. Yeah. Make sure to get the coaches buy-in. Make sure that when it's presented back to them, it's an information and visualizations that they can handle. That's what, what differentiates what we provide versus everyone else. The biggest challenge is, yeah, what is the product? What is the simple pitch of what the product looks like, right? Hey, it's a software that connects your on-field analysis with your off-field beliefs. And okay. What does that mean? Okay, well, your on-field analysis means you're obviously using statistics, whether you like it or not, to judge and to rack, rack and stack your players. Let's quantify that. We're assuming that you already have. Let's work with what you already have. And then I'm assuming you train or develop your athletes. So let's take the information that you're using there and then put those two worlds together because that really tells you what you're doing. Are you successfully training your players to be better on the field or are you just getting them bigger and faster and they're actually not producing anything on this side, which is, which is kind of happened when I was coming through the ranks, which was all the bigger, faster, stronger. They just thought bigger muscles meant better players. They didn't know that like you know, pliability as TB12 always talks about it is actually probably something you should focus on is like, being able to play is the most important. Uh, it never, it never made sense to me why we make O linemen run forty yards. Like, it, well, like it never made sense <laughs> to me why I was lifting the same as my offensive lineman. I was like, why am I? Yes, I can power clean a lot because I'm a pretty explosive dude, but like, I should not be putting that much weight, like throwing that much weight around. I'm gonna snap my yeah. leg. Yeah. So like, so that that's really what what we offer and what differentiates us. Now there are there are people out there who would call this very kind of sports science uh, centric. And that's fair. There's elements of sports science because that's off-field at things. There are people who call it sports analytics because that's fair. There's some on-field analysis. But the truth is when you can combine those two worlds, that's where there's some there's some power. And that's what we help our teams do. And it's not uh, the same software for everyone. Obviously, we have back-end tools that make it uh, easier to make it customizable. But like it, it, it is not uh, like, hey, yeah, here's your platform. Boom, you plug it in and, and then you're there. Your answers. That's that's the that's the unfortunate part. The sell to a lot of these teams, though, it, it's 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 difficult. And it's but it makes it fun because yeah. you have to look for the right teams that um, understand the process, that have people that are already vested in this, because like I mentioned from the beginning, if they don't have on-field, they don't believe in on-field analysis and they're kind of, kind of quasi-believing sports science, then what is the software that makes those easier? 
yeah. can do for them. Like it doesn't, that's the, not every team is that, that advanced. And, and that's just something where you slowly realize as you go sell. Well, and, and from a sales standpoint, you have to pre-qualify, right? Because any, any hour that you're wasting with somebody who's not a good customer is an hour you could be spending with somebody who, who's I'm a better be on the game plan chatting about my problems. You guys there, are like, there you go. Like <laughs> that's, that's listen, half of the job of being a VC <laughs> investor is therapy. They don't tell you this when you start out. <laughs> you're like a bartender. Like, I don't know. What's problem. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm here for. Yeah. I, I, but, but what I will say, so, so on that point, you know, point about you, you started second spectrum out of, out of B school, and then you have now been working with Gaines Group and, and then started uh, Breakaway Data. I'd love to understand from the entrepreneurship perspective, like what has surprised you the most about that journey and, like, and, and going from working in data to then now being a founder and CEO of a company in that space? Sure, sure. I mean, for the first four years of this, it was so fun being a, a small business owner and an entrepreneur and growing your own thing. Then coronavirus hit, and that's probably not, not never been a worse time to be a small business owner and an entrepreneur. It's a t- it's especially in a tough world. It's been a it's been an interesting year to say the least. As like you can imagine, selling in sports when there were no sports is, is pretty tough. Especially as certainly a staff a staffs have shrunk. Uh, a lot of things have to do with uh, a lot of commercial opportunities for entrepreneurs have to do with fans being in seats because if there's no money from fans in seats, there's no money to spend on you know different yeah. new opportunities. So that aside, because everyone's had their their issues this last uh, eighteen months, the most fun, or not even fun, like you have to have a certain type of you have to have thick skin to be an entrepreneur. And I think it helps that, you know, I got, I got fired five times from the Texans and the Redskins and, the, and all those people. I've heard no before when I was chasing my dream. And I've heard people tell me that, like, I'm not qualified to do this. I've heard people telling me that uh, this will never work. Uh, I've had close family and friends tell me you're wasting your time. And I never listened to him before. So it's not like, and, and the last career worked out. So it's not like I'm going to listen to him again. And I think you have to have that. I heard a great quote the other day about like an entrepreneur has to have a ironclad vision of the future and where he wants to go, but an unbelievable amount of flexibility on how you're going to get there. And that doesn't make it easy when you're chatting with friends at the bar. Hey, what do you do? Because it sounded like I'm doing something completely different than I did three months ago because I've had to be flexible in our business model and who we sell to and how we sell it. And I'm myself constantly making myself believe in our pitch and, and, and the verbiage. And I'm constantly testing out what A and B testing in my own head, how to communicate something, right? If, you, if we did this interview over, I'd probably pitch breakaway slightly different and use slightly different words because it sounds better in my head and you might nod yes or notice different things, right? Like, that that's the part that I miss about playing in the NFL, right? When I was going to the bar and you're in the NFL, what do you do for a living? Oh, I play receiver for the Texans. It's like, period. Now I don't need to explain anything else about yeah. what I do in my career. You know everything. As a matter of fact, you're going to now have a bunch of questions for me. Whereas now it's like, what is breakaway data? It's like, what's the, you know, I, I a lot of times just say it's a, we're, we're a sports analytics company. We're a sports data company. We help sports properties integrate technology. Uh, you know, I kind of, depending on who I'm talking to or their level of understanding of sports tech or sports data, sports analytics or sports in general, that is how I frame the conversation. So I would say you have uh, asking about like the entrepreneur journey. I've grown comfortable with that. Yeah. And for a lot of people, I'm sure you've seen a VC never get comfortable with that. And you wonder if they're ever going to make it. 
right? You got to have a smile on your face when you're talking about it, even when times are crappy, because there's going to be plenty of those when you're an entrepreneur. And uh, you kind of have to hold a poker face when things are going really, really well. Because if you tell too many people and sometimes you might sabotage a good deal that's, uh, you know, on the horizon or uh, an opportunity that, that is, that is, you know, slowly coming to fruition if, if, you, if you kind of, you know, spill the beans too soon. So you learn, you learn a lot of this stuff. And unfortunately, you only learn by, learn by experience. And, uh, you know, a lot of people can help you along the way. Certainly had a lot of great advisors. Business school has proven very helpful in that and that you can call a lot of people. And, and you know, we've got lawyers and accountants and uh, all those people that handle all the stuff that you don't want to. But that's, uh, yeah, I would say, Kind of long-winded answer. So I'll, no, it's I'll be, look, it's I'll super. <laughs> it's no, it's super valuable. And and I, and I will tell you, uh, you know, you touched on two things that I think comes up a lot in the game plan. So one is that loss of identity, right? Which, as you mentioned, is very very easy to say. I'm wide receiver for the Houston Texans. People know exactly what that is. And because you're doing it day in day out, there, there's that sense of identity. The second piece that comes up a lot, and I don't I don't think I gave it as much credit. Even you know, I've spent most of my career in and around sports. Is how much of life as an athlete is there's a scoreboard, right? You know, your lift, you know what the game was. You may not win, you may not, you know, you may not lose, but, but there's a scoreboard. Yeah. As an entrepreneur, you don't have a real scoreboard and you don't like, there's no set day. Did I have a good day today? I I don't know. There's no numbers, right? So it's a lot harder. There's a, there's a, there's a book on Pixar, like becoming Pixar There's a book on Pixar. And when Steve Jobs bought Pixar and it was talking about Steve Jobs and like, so I think he bought Pixar for like 80 million bucks. I don't know, don't quote me exact numbers here, but let's say he bought Pixar for like 80 million bucks and then he put like $30 million into it. And he's, and uh, he's like, not sure what he wants to do with it, but he's like, you know, talking to some people like, Hey, you know, I might, he casually drops and I might sell Pixar. Do you think, uh, you know, talking to some private equity guys, do you think I can get 150 million for it? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, okay. So in his head, he's like, all right, so I've made 50. <laughs> right because he's because he bought it for 80 put it in 20 and he's like i could sell it for 150 and then toy story came out and he's like well maybe now's the time to sell it even though they didn't like toy story you know killed it and or maybe toy story was about to come out it hadn't come out yet and he's like blah blah, blah. and he's like you know he put it like another 10 into it and so i think he was like 110 and he's like and he shops around this is like two years later and he's like do you think i can get 300 for it and one of the guys like oh no doubt and he's like I've already made 200 million. And so like he had this scoreboard in his head. You saw, even though literally in the background, he's like, these guys haven't done anything yet. Yeah. But like they've, they've created this narrative on what they've been able to do. And because Steve Jobs was involved. And so it was funny. Like, I think sometimes I think like you have to create your own scoreboard. Yeah. And that's kind of what I'm getting at is like, when you're playing, there is a scoreboard provided for you and there's clear track on how to get to that. And then like you win or you lose and you kind of do it all over again and do it, you know, for football's sake, you do it every Sunday. But like in my head, like you're constantly, you're, you you have a scoreboard. Sometimes it shape shifts a little bit in terms of like, okay, is it number of customers this, uh, you know, this quarter? Is it uh, total revenue? Is it, uh, you know, uh, months towards profitability? Like, you know what I mean? You have these different scoreboards that you're constantly kind of slowly adjusting or looking at to judge, uh, you know, success or not. But it's it's funny because, yeah, you're right. That that doesn't really exist in business. Yeah. And if, and if you're not the CEO, sometimes you have no idea what the scoreboard is. You're like, I think we're doing okay. Like when I was at Second Spectrum and I was number, I was, was like number six there, I was like, I think we're all right. Like we're, we just raised money, so I know I'm gonna have. I know my pay my paychecks and my paycheck's gonna clear, but like that, I guess that's a good sign. That's all. That's the only yeah. 
Stuff well, I, that 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 validation piece I think is really important too, and and you know a lot of times folks are caught up in the amount of money raised or whatever, but but your that sense of internal validation, you know, it, it could be something as simple as that I close a hire that I wanted to close. Yeah. Okay. That that's a win, right? And and yeah. I think the more of those reg, the wins that you stack regularly suddenly starts to look like a win to everybody else. So Dave, you've been so gracious with your time. We could talk for hours. I would love to close with, and I know, you know, I usually ask the question, what advice would you give your younger self? So you, you already jumped ahead on that one. Some of it, yeah. I would love to understand, you know, as you look towards the future, what are you most excited about when it comes to breakaway data? And, and what is sort of the future state of the world that you're really looking forward to? So this next generation of coaches, general managers, and team presidents kind of now slowly team presidents are all people in my age group now that have grown up playing video games that have seen the transition um uh, uh, uh of data and information um like i have they have seen been part of the iphone transitions they have seen the nike run pluses and all of these things they are more attuned and accustomed and comfortable with technology and inherently they are more comfortable with innovation and i think that allows them to make uh, all of those people and those are the real decision makers and stakeholders of those sports organizations and inevitably a team president will be probably the next commissioner of the pac-12 or something like that right is that those people are now going to be uh, the stakeholders of people that really help foster the next generation of, of, of innovation. And I think we're kind of right at the cusp as you see all this name image likeness stuff and how that's being shaken up. Data is a huge part of name image likeness. And you see uh, the transformation of video games from just being console based to now everyone has one on their phone and what's going on there. So name image likeness and data will be a huge part of that. You see, obviously, performance, data, technology, and all that stuff. That space is, is uh, slowly taking off. There's a new tech, a new game-changing technology every weekend being invented. I think augmented reality, mixed reality, all this stuff is, is using data, name, image, likeness, and information. So I look at breakaway data at the center of, hey, what we do is we help athletes better understand their own data. And like I said, what I would do differently is I would tell an athlete to collect their own information. And mm -hmm. inherently what we always do is about the athlete. If we get the athlete right, everything else will take, take, uh, take shape. So if you help the athlete understand his data and information, then all those opportunities just expand and you can be a part of those opportunities. And so I think I'm really excited about being at the center of that. Right. And that like, Hey, if, if I had known, you know, like looking back at five years ago, if, if we had, you know, data on Trevor Lawrence and we had his biomechanics and we had his breakaway kind of data assessment score, if we had all his GPS data from Clemson, if we had, uh, you know, like his in injury records and we had his 3D biomechanics makeup and we threw that on an NFT and it was five, yeah. five years of stuff, we could I buy the game plan and all the, and all the plans and like, right. And you do that for every draft pick and they don't have to go to the combine because they sell their own data. Like there's a, this world is going to happen where people take advantage of the flexibility of data. And yeah. I, I think that's the, being in the athlete data is, is where we sit. I think that, uh, that brings up some really cool opportunities. 
Dave, that is a fantastic place for us to close as we look towards the future, both for you and for Breakaway Data. And we're just so thankful that you joined us on the game plan today. So thank you for being here. Absolutely. Thanks. It was great. Well, that's it for this week's episode of The Game Plan with Jacob Poor and Tim Cott. As always, thanks so much for listening. A couple of quick shout outs before you go. First, a huge thanks to Dave Anderson for joining us to share his story. You can learn more about the way that they are turning data into ball speak at breakawaydata.com. Big thanks to Dave's partner, Steve Guerra, for the intro. As always, our thanks to our producer, Luke Vosich, for editing this episode, and to Sam Charlton, as well as the team at Sport Techie for packaging and promoting it. Hey, if you're still listening, you must really love the game plan. You can find us on Twitter at The Game Plan Show or leave us a five-star review on iTunes. We'll see you next week on The Game Plan.